listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast, you guys. We are diving into some strategies today, such as the keto diet and fasting. I'm going live with Ben Azadi, who's going through a personal health transformation of shedding, you guessed it, 80 pounds of pure fat. Now, he's on this really cool mission to educate a billion people to live a healthier lifestyle. And I like that mission because one time somebody asked me, you know, what is your mission? I'm like, My mission is to educate every person that walks into the grocery store to understand labels. So I like that Ben put a number on it, a billion people. He's the author of four best-selling books and is the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. Welcome, Ben. How are you? Jen, I'm doing amazing. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for having me on your show today. Yes. Um, we're going to dive into this whole keto thing because your company is called Keto Camp. And there are people that come into our world and they're either trying the keto diet, they have done the keto diet. So I'm curious to see how you shed light on the keto diet. And I don't even know if we should necessarily call it diet, but it is what it is. Why don't you go ahead and give us your background and maybe a fun fact about yourself? Ah, okay. Yeah. So background and fun fact, and then we'll get into keto for sure. Let's do it. So I did not follow the labels. I did not wake up and follow the labels (laughs) first 24 years of my life, meaning I was just eating all this crap, processed food. My mom worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was a kid. So I (laughs) Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was really happy about that as a kid, but then I was really unhealthy. Sure. So growing up in Miami Beach, Florida, where I currently live, overweight, obese, physically obese, mentally obese, hung out with the wrong crowd, developed addictions to food and sugar and drugs and video games and all these bad behaviors. And as an adult now, 2008, I found myself adult, an adult, 24 years old, obese, 250 pounds, depressed, And that's an understatement. I was actually suicidal. I was looking for ways to end my life back then. And I I was just tired of being sick and tired. And I was looking for ways to end my life. And I kept thinking about my mom every time I explored suicide. So it stopped me. Mm -hmm. Thank God for that. And I knew I had to take ownership and responsibility because up until that point, I was not. I was playing the victim card. I was blaming everybody, my genetics, my slow metabolism, my enabling family members, whatever it was I was blaming But the cool thing about taking ownership is that you no longer are the victim of your history. You now become the victor of your destiny. That's exactly what I did. So I started to actually read the labels. I started to move my body. I started to eat real food. And I went through this 80 pounds of fat loss, like you mentioned in the intro. Within 90 months, I went from 34% body fat all the way down to 6% body fat. Finally achieved a physical six-pack and most importantly, a mental six-pack. And I started to make the connection to what food does for your mood and what it did for my mental health. And that was about 14 years ago. So I've been in the health nutrition space ever since, learning things, unlearning things, relearning things. And then a fun fact about me would be 
when I was playing video games, I was one of the top video game players in the entire world. I would like what? go to tournaments and win a lot of money. And yeah, I was kicking butt in video games. <laughs> I put a lot oh. of energy into it. So that's a fun fact about me. Wow. So you were eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and junk food playing video games? That's exactly what I was doing. That was my life. Oh my gosh. Well, my kids, well, kids today, they love video games. And I am kind of, I'm not the crazy person, but to society, I I definitely feel abnormal because I do not allow video games. I do not have, my kids do not have iPads. There is one family computer connected to the wall. You use it for homework. And it is really hard at times when they're begging or their friends come over, hey, can we do you have any Xbox, things like that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's raining outside. These times would be good, but I'm just keeping keeping my ground. Like I didn't do it growing up, so you can't do it either. I love that. Yeah. Like I acknowledge you for that. You know, the kids hard. might resent you right now for that. They're going to love you. And thank you so much later on for that. It's amazing. I tell them that. I'm like, you just wait, watch. Okay, so that puts me, that shed light on a lot of these brands and companies that we have come on our podcast often are people who were at a low point in their life and they actually flipped it around themselves. And so the story is very aspiring. It's motivating. It's also approachable because people listening to the podcast hear, oh my gosh, Ben was in this situation as well. And so look what he's done with his life. And there is a method and I can learn from him. And it is it is attainable. So I like that. It's these the educators like yourself, you have your own moving story that that does impact others. It impacts others through what you have started. So let's jump into keto. What is keto for those listening? And should we all be keto? <laughs> yeah, great way to, to start the conversation. You mentioned keto diet and a lot of people consider it a diet. And technically, it's not really a diet. It's a, a metabolic process. There are thousands of ways to do keto. So whenever I hear somebody say, I did keto, it didn't work for me. It doesn't really hold a lot of weight just because there's so many different ways to do it. So the way that I teach it, the way that I, I teach it to my students is to use it as a tool, one tool in the shed of many, many tools, but use it as a tool to reset your metabolic pathway. So when we think about our ancestors, and I'm not saying we should do everything our ancestors did. However, we know that there's nothing new about ketosis. It's not a fad diet. It has been around for as long as humans have existed because it's a metabolic process. When our ancestors did not have carbohydrates available to them or food in general, they had to fast. And by default, they needed to have the ability to switch fuel sources and use body fat, and then ketones are produced from the liver. And then that gives the brain a fuel source so they could stay alert, hunt, kill, stay alive, essentially. So if it wasn't for ketosis, we probably wouldn't exist today. Our ancestors would have become like blubbering idiots. They would have went hypoglycemic. They wouldn't have been able to hunt and kill. So thank God for this process. Now, fast forward to the you know the year that we live in, we have essentially what I call a keto deficiency. Mm-hmm. We have forgotten about this pathway. We've forgotten to burn fat. We're just sugar burners eating high carbs every two to three hours. And now we take this beautiful body that's primed to burn fat at times and it's only burning sugar, and it's aging people faster, and it's the cause of type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, etc. So what I'm doing is educating people on this pathway, this metabolic pathway of burning fat, and teaching them to flex in and out. We don't teach it as a dogmatic approach that you have to do keto forever. We teach it as a tool to go in and out, and that's the way that we view it. 
Yeah. Do you know who came up with the idea of eating three meals a day and snacks for kids are important? Like, how do you feel about that stuff? I think that's a whole bunch of BS. I don't know who came up with it, but I'm going to guess it was like General Mills or some Kellogg or some some big food company. So you tell me. Yeah, I'm pretty certain it is that. I was going (laughs) to say Kellogg's or it's the greatest part of, no, the greatest part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. So that's coffee. I want to say it might've been General Mills. It was somebody that branded breakfast is the most important meal of the day. That's Kellogg's. Tony the Tiger says that. That's exactly it. Yeah. Let's see. Breakfast earned its title as the most important meal of the day back in the 1960s after American nutritionist Adele Davis suggested that to keep fit and avoid obesity, one should eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. Remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. I wonder who told her to say that, though. (laughs) Exactly. I know whenever I go to my kids' school, like after school, the kids are running to go get a snack. And then I look at the snacks and I just like scream on the inside, but I don't say anything. You know, it's graham crackers and goldfish Mm. and all these things. And then people wonder why the kids, first of all, are like acting out and they're being crazy. But more importantly, they're starving. They're screaming. They want more snacks. And so oftentimes people will say, you know, oh, clean eating and being healthy is actually really expensive because they associate it with my kid needs 10 snacks a day. But actually when you are feeding your kids and yourself real food, then you can naturally go into a comfortable state of ketosis, right? And you're not starving all day and you actually have more energy. So Anyway, it works out to be in less money, but... That's exactly right. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So are people genetically prone to be obese? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you ask the nutrition guidelines from the government, yes. There was that lady that was on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago saying it's a genetic issue. No. Well, okay, let me, let me, let me revise that. We might be genetically predisposed to obesity, mm-hmm. but it is not the reason why obesity exists. It is not even the most important thing to consider. So there's a study that came out. I just did a video about this. Two identical mice, same genetics. One mice became obese. The other mice stayed lean. Same genes. How come the, there was a lean one? Yeah. The only thing that changed is that they introduced BPA to the obese mice, which turned on the agouti gene, which created obesity. It was an environmental trigger. Mm -hmm. So, And you know all about BPA. You teach that. So the only thing that changed was that BPA was introduced. And as your audience knows, because they've learned from you, BPA is in plastic bottles, baby bottles. It's all over the place. So it's epigenetics that rules the show. It's not your genes that are your destiny. As a matter of fact, Dr. Bruce Lipton, world-renowned cell biologist, I've interviewed him on my podcast. He has a great book called The Biology of Belief. He believes that 99% of all disease and all symptoms, including obesity, is epigenetics, environmentally triggered. Only 1% or less is straight up genes. So we know we have the ability to downregulate genes, upregulate genes, and it starts with our environment. It starts with the food you eat, the toxins in your environment or lack of toxins in your environment, the thoughts that you think. So no, that is a lame excuse, I believe, to just say, Oh, it's not your fault. You know, it's in your genes. You're obese because of your parents. You know, it is not your fault. I think that is playing the victim card and it's not true in my book. Yeah. How your genes react to toxins and being aware of where those toxins are coming from. Yep. Okay. So let's, I want to learn your way of whether it's keto camp or how do you teach keto? How does one acknowledge listening? Okay. This is right for me and some ways to start. Yeah. So the first thing is 
most people do need this process of ketosis. And I say that because there was a study that came out, at least in America, there was a study that came out in the 2018, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, 10-year study, over 8,000 people in the study looking at, the goal was to determine how healthy or how unhealthy is the American population. And they looked at different metrics, blood pressure, are, are they on medication, off medication, A1C, et cetera, BMI. And they determined at the end of the study that 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. 88%. And then COVID happened. You know that's in the 90s now. Yep. They have a keto deficiency. They're sugar burners, these individuals. So the first step to answer your question is to get them from burning sugar to burning fat. Mm-hmm. And it's really easily done. I could achieve that in 14 days for most people. We just gradually decrease their carbohydrates to eventually get their total carbs under 50 grams for the day total. And at the same time, we're bumping up their healthy fat and protein and keeping their electrolytes up as well. Because as you lower carbs, you lower insulin and the kidneys go through this diuretic process where you dump a lot of extra water weight, which is great, but you also lose a lot of electrolytes. So you keep the sea salt electrolytes up. And then in 14 days, they're burning fat instead of sugar. They're in ketosis. And then we start doing some more advanced strategies. But that is the first step. Okay, good to know. So I actually have a video inside of my course that talks about when you do switch to a clean eating journey, you are by default taking in, I don't say less of the carbs, but you're basically taking in less of those flowers, the bleached flowers, the unbleached flour, the whole weight, all that, and the preservatives. And so normally your body's holding on to all this water weight and it's starving. It's like, I got to save these things, right? And so when you're dumping that thing out, that's why a lot of people can lose a lot of weight in the beginning because their body is getting rid of that water weight, that inflammation, and they can feel kind of like that keto flu-like symptoms, right? That's exactly what's happening, right? And people think it's a yeah. issue with keto, like it's a negative thing towards keto, but it's really yeah. carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms or getting rid of these processed food withdrawal symptoms. It's just part of the process. So keeping the electrolytes up is the key there. Yeah. And would you agree that the more symptoms you have, like the worse that keto flu feeling that you get means the more you actually need this? Absolutely. Yeah. It's also a signal that you have a lot of toxicity in your fat cells because your body is going to dump a lot of toxins when you um, start utilizing fat. Your body cannot burn toxins, but it could burn fat. So as you start to shrink fat cells and dump that into the bloodstream, toxins go with it and then you get symptoms. So that's a sign that you're very toxic. Okay. How do you also feel about like you said cut carbs, get to 50 grams of carbs a day. How I would say it is, hey, stop eating that bread. That's promoting inflammation and eat bread that doesn't. So eating bread made from almond flour, cassava flour, which is all naturally gluten-free or finding a tortilla made from jicama, which is a root vegetable or cauliflower. How do you feel about that? All those are terrific options. So much better than the crap out there, the wheat bread, the white bread. So absolutely. Personally, I don't do well with almond flour or almonds just because of the oxalate load. So I would lean towards more like the jicama or the cassava. But yeah, I think all those are, are good options. Are you pro or against a vegan diet? I'm for every diet, short-term, not long-term. Every diet. Okay. Is vegan healthy? Short-term, absolutely. Short-term. Can be. Is it to, like, why? Is that to trick your body? Yeah, in a sense. Like, what would be advantageous about that? It forces your body to adapt. So that actually could be a a stressor, but we know that stress is not necessarily bad as long as your body adapts. Stress could only become bad when your body does not adapt. So when you start to, let's say it's vegan, let's say I'm going to do 30 days of a plant-based diet, yeah, which could be a good idea for some people. 
you start to introduce all of these plants that have plant toxins and these, you know, tannins, polyphenols, and uh, oxalates, lectins, et cetera, nightshades. You might think it's a bad thing, but it could stress your gut to create more diversity. But the problem is this, people will do it too long, and then all of a sudden, they're adapting, adapting, getting stronger and healthier, more diversity, and then they're no longer adapting and the benefits go away. So long-term, absolutely, I do not think it's healthy. Vegan, keto, carnivore. Short-term, I think the variation has a place, and that's pretty much what our ancestors did. Sometimes they were vegan, sometimes they were keto, sometimes they were carnivore. It's the variation where the magic happens because to your point, it creates adaptation where it creates your body, it creates more diversity in your gut and it stresses the mitochondria as well to adapt, which is a good thing short term. Okay. So when you're teaching someone how to get into ketosis through the keto camp, you said you can get those results in two weeks. How do you guide them and where do you guide them on what is the best diet or the best I don't know way they should be eating. Is that something you do or is it just do whatever you want, get yourself in ketosis? <laughs> Definitely not that, but a lot of people do okay. <laughs> keep it that way, unfortunately. <laughs> I developed something called a Keto Camp Blueprint where it has a guide of, okay, here are the approved proteins, fats, and carbs. Here are the non-approved ones. Here are the healthy sweeteners. Here are the unhealthy artificial sweeteners you want to avoid. So it kind of gives them a roadmap. The number one thing though that I, that I focus on right off the bat whether somebody wants me to teach them keto or not, is to avoid vegetable oils and seed oils. And I know you talk a lot about this on your Instagram. And I'm going to share something with you that you're going to love because I don't think you know about this. But before I get there, I interviewed Dr. Kay Shanahan. She is a medical doctor. She wrote a great book called Deep Nutrition, which is a classic. She was the nutritionist for the Los Angeles Lakers when Kobe Bryant used to play. And uh, she's a great friend of mine. So I interviewed her several times in my podcast. But a few months ago, I was interviewing her again. And I said, Dr. Kate, three scenarios. Which scenario will create disease and inflammation faster? Mm -hmm. Scenario number one, somebody's smoking cigarettes every single day. Scenario number two, somebody's eating processed sugar every day. Or scenario number three, somebody's eating vegetable oils every day. And she giggled and laughed. And she said, that's an easy question. It's the vegetable oils. She said, and here's her reason. She said, cigarette smoking, of course, is not good for you. But once you finish the last puff, damage is done. That's not really bioaccumulating in your body, that cigarette smoke. Sugar is not good for you, but you could exercise, you could burn it off, build muscle, and burn off excess glucose. Vegetable oils, linoleic acid, stick around in your body fat for years of the half-life, meaning if you remove them today, 680 days later, half of the vegetable oil will still be in your body fat creating mitochondrial inflammation. So that's why she believes they're worse than smoking and excess sugar. And I agree with her. And I know you talk a lot about this. And here's the challenges I had over the years. I always go to restaurants with my fiance and my friends, and they sometimes roll their eyes at me and think I'm weird because the first thing I ask the server is, what oil do you cook your food in? And I, I know you will appreciate this because you probably do the same thing. Absolutely. And it's usually a vegetable oil, right? Canola, soybean, or it's olive oil, but it's cut even at the fanciest restaurants. So for years, I would tell them, I'm allergic to those oils. Can you cook in like just yeah. real butter, no olive oil? I mean, olive oil that's not cut. And they would make the request. And I would tell my students to do this for years, but I come to find that most of them would not do it. So I was thinking, how can I make this easy for them? So what I did is I developed this vegetable oil allergy card. Mm -hmm. And they printed out. And they bring it to their server or they have it on their phone. And it says, Dear Chef, 
I have food allergies to vegetable oils. In order to avoid an allergic reaction, I must avoid those eight inflammatory oils. Below are the safe alternatives. And you just show this to the server and they'll honor your request because now it's an allergy, not a preference. So that's the first thing I teach the students. And the card makes it easy for them to do that. Yeah, I love that. I've heard of that before. I know that it's, you said that there was a nutritionist that you talked to. I forget her name, but most of them don't even know these things. For example, I just talked to a follower. Her name was Laura. She was dressed in scrubs in an operating room in a hospital in Massachusetts, told me she has SIBO and she's going to see a gastro doctor. And I'm looking at her, she's wearing scrubs. And I said, you know, what, what do you do that you're asking me what you should be eating? And she's like, oh, I do surgery on, I forget what she said. She's like, but I've been following you and I did some of these swaps and my stomach feels so much better. And so I'm like, this is so alarming that people don't know that. And often people ask me, what is the number one thing that people in America could eliminate to get better health? And just like you're saying, it is the seed oils. And the issue is that, like you said, it stays in your system forever, but it promotes inflammation in the Western diet here in America has too many, too much vegetable oil. It's too many omega-6s and it's this it's not balanced in our body properly and it's causing inflammation. And I do believe that if you look at studies, it shows the amount of vegetable oils that have entered our diet and our health, how it's just, they've both skyrocketed. It's insane. The correlation is wild. It's wild and they're everywhere. You know this, Jen, you go to Whole Foods and you look at their hot food, prepared foods in their hot food bar and you're like, I want to get some good Whole Foods. It's going to be healthy. And you look, canola oil, soybean oil, canola oil. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. So we got to wake up and read the ingredients, yeah. read the labels and make sure that we're avoiding them. Do you know Whole Foods, before they sold to Amazon, it was all extra virgin olive oil. And when Amazon bought it, I saw that. Yes, it was an immediate switch. It was like in one week because I did used to always, this was before I started this company, I would read, read, read. And then I realized the switch and that's when you have to put your Amazon phone number when you're checking out. Like there were a lot of changes to Whole Foods that we had to adapt to. And one of them being, I would go to the hot bar. I'm like, God darn it. What the heck is going on? Now we have, now we have canola oil and everything. It's like, why can't a Brussels sprout just be a Brussels sprout? So anyway, I didn't know that it it was Amazon who made that switch. Even the olive oil bar, right? Has olives with canola oil. It's like, why not put olive oil on the olives, please? (laughs) I know it's such a bummer. They're like, we got to figure out how to get this profit up and cost down. Okay. Yeah. Which works profit wise. Yep. How do you feel about butter and coffee? Because I know that's kind of a, are you, you're drinking coffee right now. What are you drinking, Ben? I am drinking coffee. It's still my coffee from the morning. It's kind of late for me to have coffee, but today I kind of drank it slowly. Okay. So you're, are you fasting right now? Um, besides that, there is some fat in my coffee. So, but it's not butter. What's in there? I put some uh, MCT oil in there and some collagen. So actually I'm not fasting. So some collagen powder and some MCT oil, but I'm not opposed to butter in the coffee. Here's because butter is great. Saturated fat. Our cells love saturated fat. The membrane's made up of saturated fat. But what I have found is that people who ha- want to lose weight and they're putting butter in their coffee, all these fats in their coffee, the body does need to burn that dietary fat before it goes to body fat. So if your goal is to get some weight off, you might want to just have black coffee instead of adding all those fats in. But if you're lean and you just want it for like the taste and the health benefits, I'm all for it. But if somebody's really overweight, I wouldn't recommend they put the butter or fats in their coffee. 
Okay. Can the butter in the coffee or any fats, does, can that raise your cholesterol? Probably, but that's a good thing. Yeah. I actually think it's important to, for most people to raise their cholesterol. The cell membrane is made up of protein-saturated fat and cholesterol. Cholesterol is essential for our sex hormones. It's essential for the integrity of our cell membrane. I interviewed um, Dr. Nathan Bryan, who's the world leading. Re- he's the world leader in research on nitric oxide. Okay. And I was having dinner with him here in Miami a few months ago, and he was telling me that if a total cholesterol is under 200, it's very dangerous because it blocks the binding of nitric oxide, which actually raises high blood pressure and increases your risk of heart disease. So I'm going to say that again, under 200, not over. He's more concerned if you're under 200. So to answer your question, having more saturated fat in your coffee might raise your total cholesterol. And that's a good thing. And it probably will lower your inflammatory markers, which is a good thing too. Got it. Okay. So uh, let's talk about, I think you dive into liver health a little bit on your social media platform, right? Do you have some warning signs of poor liver health? Yeah, the liver. You talk a lot about the liver. The liver is the soccer mom organ because she does everything for us. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I always call her the soccer I like all these momisms. like mom helped you here. <laughs> all right, I'm with it. I'm glad you're digging it, Jen. I'm glad. Yeah. I got to give credit to my colleague, Dr. Klum. He came up with the liver soccer mom thing. But it makes so much sense because especially on keto, right? The liver produces bile acids, which is needed to break down fat. A lot of people who do keto, they increase their saturated fat, they increase their healthy fats. And if that liver is sluggish, that's the first warning sign. You can't break down fat properly. That's a sign of poor liver health. So that would show up as loose stools and diarrhea when you increase fat. That's a sign of poor liver health. And a lot of people do have poor liver health because they beat up the liver with processed foods, high carbohydrate foods, toxicity, medication, alcohol, et cetera. And the liver has to filter all that out. So the first sign is going to be that you can't break down fat properly. Now, what can you do? Uh, bitters, I always say bitter will support the liver. So dandelion greens, arugula, coffee helps with the liver. Uh, lemons, limes, apple cider vinegar, these are all great. Um, you could also use herbs like oregano and thyme. That'll stimulate bile production with the liver. And then if your liver is really sluggish, you might want to do things like coffee enemas. We utilize something called a PC push which is a phosphatidylcholine. It's a thick fat that you take, and then you take a binder, and then it forces the liver to dump bile, and it collects toxins. So yeah, the liver is so important, especially as you increase your dietary fat. The most important thing to pay attention to is how well are you doing at breaking down that fat? If you get the loose stools and diarrhea, it's a sign you need some liver support, maybe even some supplementation too. Okay. Do you, I'm sure you have, I know you've helped thousands of people. And so do people come to you because, Hey, you know, Ben, I have poor liver health or is it, I want to lose weight. Like why are, what are the most common reasons people are joining your program? Yeah. Good question, Jen. They mostly come to me because they either have insulin resistance and type two diabetes, and they've tried so many different things. And their doctor has told them that it's a lifelong sentence and they are really looking to reverse that. And, or they're looking to lose weight with keto. So when they come into my world, the first thing I teach them is keto is not to be used as a weight loss tool. Now, will it help you lose weight? Absolutely. But we don't do it for the weight loss benefits. We do it for the health benefits. And nobody has a weight problem. When I was obese and I shared my story, I never had a weight problem. 
nobody currently has a weight problem. It's a weight symptom. Mm -hmm. It's a result of the problem. So why chase the symptom that you've already gone down that path, cutting calories and exercising more? It's not going to get to the root cause. So I educate them on, hey, let's get you healthy. Let's get your hormones more sensitive. Let's reduce inflammation. Now your fat burning hormones do a better job and then weight loss is a side effect. So I educate them on getting healthy to lose weight versus losing weight to get healthy, which is very different than what doctors have told them and nutritionists and dietitians and all those fitness influencers on TikTok and Instagram telling you to cut calories and exercise more. It does people a huge disservice. It does not work long term. It's not giving you enough information. It's not giving you the solution. And I think anybody who's just solely teaching people to eat less and move more, they have some growing to do because I've been there myself and I used to teach that, but it's doing people a big disservice. It's not giving you the full picture. So to answer your question, I educate them on, okay, how do we use ketosis, intermittent fasting? How do we remove the seed oils, all the processed ingredients out of your diet and, and focus on sleep and things of that nature? And then your body gets healthy. And then guess what? The weight comes off as a side effect, but we're not chasing the weight loss. It's just a, a little bonus um, benefit of getting healthy. Yeah, 100%. Do you have a client story of maybe a transformation that joins your program, right? And maybe it was their intention to or to not lose weight, but to get healthy and they dined out a lot. Yeah, especially for... I know those are tricky. Yeah, they are tricky, especially for clients who are like entrepreneurial, who are traveling a lot or they have a lot of business events. Yes. And what I tell them is, okay, the first thing you want to do is just avoid the seed oils at those restaurants. So I'd rather than have sugar and ice cream or whatever it is versus the seed oils and then the alcohol too. So it makes it more challenging. I'm sure you've had the same with clients who dine out a lot. It makes it a lot more challenging because you never really know what they're giving you at these restaurants. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are still getting the vegetable oils and they're drinking the alcohol. So to answer your question, yes, I have had that before. The person needs to be really committed to continue with the plan, even though they're eating out. You're always safer by asking to get things grilled instead of cooked in oil. So getting like grilled steaks and et cetera, like look for things that are grilled, it's much much safer. And then yeah, lowering your alcohol intake is going to help with the results as well. What do you typically do when people are eating out a lot? Same. I'm more in the mindset of, hey, control what you can control, focus on those moments, right? So if it's you're eating breakfast at home, you're eating lunch five days a week that you are preparing yourself, and then you're making mostly your dinners clean, making the best choice available. Yes. Teaching them like, Hey, ask for it cooked in butter. If you can do dairy-free type of dressings, ask for the oil or the vinegar on the side getting things clearly not fried, avoiding gluten. So teaching them how to dissect and read the menu and order. If you see a dish and it comes with a side of pasta, well, check out what's on the side menu. It might have, you know, vegetables or there might be sauteed, I don't know, tomatoes, I'm saying potatoes, but potatoes even are going to be better than the pasta. So educating them on how to read the menu and seeing the menu as pieces to a puzzle, as opposed to a lot of people go and see a menu as like, I have to get that menu item, how it's written. But I say, if you can, you know, if you're 80, 90% clean, then you will get the progress you want and be able to move on as opposed to some people are not controlling what they're eating and they're not eating healthy, but they're, they are eating two healthy meals a week. And they're like, why am I not getting healthy? It's same as going to the gym, right? Go to the gym more than less and you will, you'll feel better. Things like that. So well said. 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Ben. Where can everybody find you? I know you're on Instagram. I follow you at the Ben Azadi. Your website's benazadi.com. But let people know how they can get started, what they can grab, how to find you. Thank you, Jen. Yeah, you could find me uh, on my podcast. Since this is a podcast, it's a very easy transition to another podcast. It's called the Keto Camp Podcast. Camp is spelled with a K. Jen is scheduled to come on the show very, very soon. We're going to have a phenomenal conversation. I'm sure of it. And then my website is benazadi.com, where it has all my socials. You can find my books on there. If you want to get the seed oil vegetable card that I I mentioned, you could get it for free as a PDF download. I tell people to just get it and save it as an image and show the waiter that image. It's uh, seedoilcard.com. You can download it for free. So that would be the best place to to find me. Awesome. I'm going to go grab me a copy now. (laughs) I appreciate it, Ben. Great talking to you. And I'm here for you changing more lives with the Keto Camp. Thank you, Jen. You're awesome. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for allowing me to come and serve your community today. Of course. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Hold up. 